0: I had uh, heard a story about a guy that was out walking his his pit bull, and uh, as he was walking his pit bull, he came across another guy, and this guy had a dog that he had never seen before in his entire life. The dog was uh, a yellow dog. And, I mean, strong, muscular-looking animal, and uh, the two owners started talking, and the uh, one owner of the pit bull says, you know, I, uh, occasionally I allow my dog to fight other animals for, for money. Guy says, really? He says, I do the same. He says, well, why don't we get together and we'll, we'll see which animal wins. Okay. So they set a time and place and everything, got their animals together. They let them loose, and one bite from that yellow dog killed that pit bull instantly. The guy was just amazed. He couldn't believe it. He said, I have never seen a dog like that. He says, what, what kind of breed is that? The guy said, well, before I cut off his tail and painted him yellow, he used to be an alligator. <laughs> How important perception is, right? I do have a little test here for you this morning. Um, I'm going to show you a few uh, things here that uh, I think might be helpful to you uh, just to kind of get an idea what we're going to be talking about here this morning. Um, So I want you to look at the images and uh, you don't have to say it out loud or anything, but I want you to look at the images here and see if you can see what other people see. All right. So here's the first one, what do you see? How many people see a duck? Okay, how many of you see a rabbit? Okay, do the people that see a duck now see a rabbit? Okay, all right, here's another one. How many legs does the elephant have? (laughs) Kind of confusing, isn't it? Really only has four legs, but looks like there's eight there. How many circles do you see? Does anybody see the circles? Yeah, you see them? They're there. Here's another one. What do you see? How many of you see an attractive young lady with her head turned? How many of you see an older woman? All right. It's there. Here's another one. What's wrong with this picture? Do you see it? There's what, No no mortar? Okay. Do you see it now? It's a cigar sticking out of the brick. (laughs) Here's the same picture again, see? You see it now? (laughs) still there. (laughs) So isn't it interesting that how we don't see things right away, even though they're right in front of us, You know, because we sometimes focus so intensely on our surroundings that are around us, sometimes we miss some of the most obvious things that are just right there in front of us. And I believe that in our lives, God is doing some amazing things in our lives. And because we do not focus on what the Lord is doing, we might be concerned about this circumstance or what this is going on or how this is happening or how this is taking place. We miss the big picture of what the Lord is actually doing in our lives, and He's trying to accomplish a certain will for our lives. You know, if I can, I'd like to just take a, just a few moments, just kind of set the stage here for this uh, this message here, and I just want to briefly go through a few instances. These are Bible stories that some of us are really familiar with, and show you how God was at work uh, in the background, and what He was doing to accomplish His will. Even though it may have not seemed obvious of what the Lord was doing. You know, God's word always affirms his glorious existence. He basically states, I am. He is the God that was, that is, and is to come, He's always been present. And so for us as believers, we need to recognize that because God is always present around us, He's always at work, even though we may not see His strong and mighty hand in obvious ways. But He's still at work. So throughout Scripture, God used events, people, and circumstances to accomplish His will. Could it be that possibly in 2016 that God used events circumstances, and even people to accomplish a certain will in your life. Even though you may have not seen it, God was using those events, He was using circumstances, and He was even using people to accomplish His will for our lives. And if we were not keen in focusing on what God was doing, we missed it. And we missed out on what God was accomplishing in our lives. So let's take a few look at a few scriptures to help us see this. For example, the life of Joseph. All the way through Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, you have the life of Joseph. Now, you, we all pretty familiar with the life of Joseph. I mean, here he is. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. Um, he has 12 brothers that hate his guts. I mean, he has uh, stepmoms, and his dad plays favorites. And what do his brothers do? Boy, they sell him into slavery at the age of 17. We find that Joseph was 30 years old when he's made an overseer. So, for many of his years, he spent either in prison or as a slave. And by the time he's 30 years old, he finally becomes an overseer. By the time he was 39, when his brothers first came to Egypt, he was 39 years old when his brothers came. When the famine came and his brothers come and they're seeking food, he's 39 years old. So he hadn't seen his brothers ever since he was 17. But yet God was using those events, circumstances, and people to accomplish his task in Joseph's life. By the time he was 41 years old, that's about the second time that Joseph's brothers came to see him. And that's when he finally got to see his father for the first time ever since he was 17 years old. Think about what had changed from the age of 17 to age 41 now. I mean, if I had left my father when I was 17 and then not get to see him when I was 41, I'd probably show up and be like, whoa, what happened? You got old. What happened? You know, and I'm sure he probably would tell me all the stories of things that transcribed. But Joseph had not seen his father since he was 17 years old. Finally, Joseph dies at 110 years old when he's there in Egypt. And you think about that. And through all the whole process of Joseph's life, you know what he said about everything that took place? Even though he was in prison, even though he was lied about, even though he was forgotten in prison, and people schemed against him. You know what Joseph said about all of this? In Genesis 50, 20, he said this. As for you, speaking to his brothers, he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God used Joseph in a mighty way and used events and circumstances in his people to bring about his will in his life. And Joseph recognized that. How about how God raised up Pharaoh to accomplish his purpose? In Exodus chapter 8, verse number 15, let me just read some of these verses here to you. Bible says there, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So here is Pharaoh. He's seeing all these miracles being done. And he, will, he would not let the children of Israel go. God hardened Pharaoh's heart in such a way. And we find that here in uh, chapter 9, verse number 16. It says, God speaking to Pharaoh. He says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed In all the earth. And in verse 34 in chapter 9 it says, But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So even in in Pharaoh's life, God used Pharaoh to accomplish a certain task and a certain purpose for his will. How about in Isaiah chapter 10 verses 5 through 7, we read here about Assyria, And the Bible says here in Isaiah 10, verse 5 through 7, Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger, God says, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does so not think. But it is in his heart to destroy, and to cut off nations not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Calno like Shremish, is not Hamath like Ephrat, is not Samaria like Damascus, as my hand is reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria. So here Assyria is the unintentional instrument in the hand of the Lord. God used Assyria in a certain way to bring judgment upon his own people, and God used events circumstances, and even in this sense, Assyria, to bring about his will for his people. Here's another one in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Here is Habakkuk. This is an interesting read. And Habakkuk is complaining to the Lord because of all of the injustice in the world. He says here, will you not hear, O Lord, will you not, I cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? I mean, God, you see all the wickedness around and you're just looking at it, just twiddling your thumbs, acting like nothing's wrong. That's Habakkuk's heart cry to the Lord. And he says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous so, justice goes forth perverted. He's saying, God, it seems like all the wickedness in the world is winning and you're just allowing it to happen. Boy, is that not the same heart cry that we have today? We see all the wickedness and we just say, God, how can you let all this stuff go unpunished? And listen what God says to Habakkuk He says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. God says, I am doing a work and I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans to bring justice. Even a wicked nation like the Chaldeans. God says, I am raising them up to accomplish my purpose. What about Jonah? Remember about Jonah in the Bible as he's there? And he is supposed to go to Nineveh to preach. And he, where does he go? He goes to Tarshish, right? He's on the ship. And the the waves start coming on and are about. And the men that are on the ship, they begin getting very fearful. They're crying out to God, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And Jonah simply says, it's me. It's me. The reason why you guys are having all this problem, it's me. He says, throw me into the sea and everything will end. But it says the men, they said, no, we're going to try to row this out. And they're starting to row harder and harder. And boy, it just keeps going and going against them, against them. Finally, they take up Jonah. They throw him in the sea. Everything stops. Now, the men threw Jonah in the sea. But later on, when Jonah is praying, he says, Lord, you cast me into the sea. And it's interesting how God used those men to cast Jonah into the sea. What about even in the New Testament? In Galatians 4, 4, the Bible tells us, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. God had a plan, a a perfect plan that was staged. Everything was put in place at the right time to bring about his plan. He used the government of Rome to bring about his plan. He used Caesar Augustus to make a decree to be, for all the world to be taxed. Everything had a purpose and right in its timing. What about Paul? I love this one. In Acts chapter 27, verse 28, you got to see this for yourself. Acts chapter 27 and verse 28. Just want to point out a few words to you here. Acts 27 and 28, here's Paul He has been captured. He's been taken by the Roman government. He is going to go to uh, Felix, and he's going to uh, make his case before Caesar. He's in chains. He's on a ship. And the Bible says here, uh, verse 32, uh, Acts chapter 26, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And I love this. Paul here sails for Rome. He's on the ship. And in verse number 4 at the end, it says, The winds were against us. In uh, verse number 7, it says, they arrived with difficulty. In verse number 8, with difficulty. Verse number 9, the voyage was now dangerous. In verse number 10, the voyage will be with injury. In uh, verse number 14, a tempestuous wind arose against them called the northeastern. I believe that was a hurricane. Bible says here, verse 15, it says that they were driven along. In verse 16, they managed with difficulty. In verse 17, they were driven along. In verse number 20, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Boy, that's depressing. In, in verse number 20, it says that the hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They all lost hope. They said, boy, this, this, this storm is so terrible, we're just going to lose hell, hope. In verse 21, it said that they had been without food for a long time. In verse 24, Paul says, do not be afraid, or the angel says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. In verse 33, it says on the 14th day, they still were without food. In chapter 28, it says Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire. After their their ship had been shipwrecked, Paul gets out on the land and he's gathering up some sticks. There's There's a tribe of people there and he gathers up the sticks and what comes out? A snake bites him in the hand. I mean, I'm telling you, if any of us would have looked at this and said, yeah, Paul, you're going to go out and serve God, and you see with difficulty, you see this, you see the the storm, you see that, you see all of these things working against him, we'd say, Paul, God's not in all of that. You need to just go home. Don't do that, Paul. What's wrong with you? But God had a purpose for all of that in Paul's life. And God was working through all of that. So that's really what I want us to focus in on here is refocusing on God's will for your life. Living in the lens of God's will. Not missing the moment what God is doing in your life. Now, I really don't have a outline here for you this morning, but I do have one word for you, okay? And we're going to look at that word here in just a moment. When we consider life... We consider the Christian life. It takes faith to live the Christian life. It takes faith to follow Jesus. It takes faith to read our Bible. It takes faith to tithe. It takes faith to follow Christ. It takes faith to follow the Lord. Life takes faith. And we must understand how are we supposed to live our life in accordance with. To what God has for our lives in events, circumstances and even people that he brings how are we supposed to live our life within that realm I'd like for you to consider what Asaph wrote in Psalm 77 let's turn over there, Psalm 77 here's Asaph and he writes this rather interesting psalm Pretty much about life, about what God is doing. Psalm 77, and we're going to begin in verse number two. Bible says, In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So Asaph here really gives us a pattern on how to refocus on God's will for our life. In all of it, Asaph makes a remarkable discovery about life. He says, look, you know, everything's going on. Am I going to be bitter? Am I going to be angry? Am I, it, what's going on, Lord? And what does he say? Asaph tells us that in his faith comes from his trust in God. He says here in verse number five, look what it says again. I consider the days of old... The years long ago. And by remembering what God had done, Asaph's faith is strengthened in what God will continue to do in the future. And so Asaph knows, he says, hey, no matter what's going on around me, the events and the circumstances and the people and and all the trouble, Asaph says, God, I know that you are in control because of what you have done In the past. Notice what he says in verses 10 through 12. He says. Then I said. I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the most high. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. What are these actions. That Asaph is remembering. It's what we call providences. Providences are basically the things that God brings into our lives. They are the actions, they are the deeds that we are supposed to be taking note of and focusing on, on what the Lord is doing in our life. Asaph here had faith to continue because he knew how God had saved him in the past. And he knew that that same God would be the same God that would continue to lead him whatever the circumstance was in his life. So let's take a look at this verse here, because I love this verse here. Uh, Notice what uh, the Bible says here. Psalm 57, 2. The Bible says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. The God who fulfills his purpose for me. Can it honestly be said in your heart that when you pray to God, it's not, God, I have all of these problems in my life. I need them fixed. But rather, God, I'm praying that you will fulfill your purpose in me. See, there's a difference there. Because when we go to God and we say, God, look at all these these issues and all these problems and all these circumstances, you know what we're failing to do? We're failing to recognize God's hand in all of our lives and how he is purposing our lives for a certain reason. But when we recognize God and we say, God, please fulfill your purpose for my life. That changes our outlook on events events circumstances, and even people that God brings into our life to accomplish His will. So here's the first part. I'm going to give you a definition here of what, what providences is. And we're going to look at these, this definition um, in three separate ways. So yeah, there's not really an outline, but there kind of, sort of is, but it's just a definition, okay? So here's the first part of the definition of providences. Providences are basically... Every event and circumstance in our lives. When we're going to recognize what God is doing, and if we're going to live within the lens of His will, and we're going to focus on what God is doing, we have to recognize the providences of God. And this is every event and circumstance in our life. This is the truth of Romans 8.28. Basically, it tells us there that all those that love God are called according to His purpose. Every event and circumstance that happens in our life, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So basically when you think about every event and circumstance, these are things that you cannot change. For example, your height, your color and texture of your hair, the color of your eyes, your shoe size, your sex, parents, place and time of your birth, creative ability, the car you drove this morning, those who rode in the car with you. These are events and circumstances that you really don't have control over. Why in the world did you wear what you wore today? You say, well, that was what was in my closet. Duh. But can we not see that even God plans those things in our lives? Why did you choose to eat, I don't know, Lucky Charms this morning versus Corn Pops? Does anybody in here eat Lucky Charms? No? Okay. Besides me? All right. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. But why does God allow those certain things to happen in our lives? It's because God is using all those things to bring about his purpose. So if we're going to live in the lens of his will, we must understand that every event and circumstance is a result of God's providences. Why do you live here in Goshen, Indiana or Middlebury or LaGrange? Why do you live there? Why don't you live in Alaska? These are things that God has brought about in our lives for a certain purpose. Let's look at another part of this, providences. So providences are every event and circumstance in our lives. But here's the second part to that. So providences are every event and circumstance in our lives designed and controlled by God. Now that is so important to to capture. Because if we know that God is at work in every event and our circumstance... And if that is true, we must assume that every event and circumstance is designed. I love that, that it's designed. What do you mean by that? Well, basically, there's a signature that's been placed upon your life. How many of you have ever been to an art gallery before? Okay. Um, We had a opportunity when we were living in Albuquerque. Um, I was still in high school at the time. A traveling uh, exhibition came through and it was uh, the art of um, Rembrandt and uh, some Picasso and they brought it to the art gallery there and it was completely free my dad says hey let's go see this stuff because when are you ever gonna go visit Europe and go see this for yourself I mean it's free let's go do it we'll do it so I went there and you're looking at it you know and you see the, the Picasso and you see the Rembrandts and you're like wow so that's what they are Pretty neat. But every piece of that art had a signature. It had had someone who designed it, put it together. Well, I'd like to think about it that way. That God is at work in our lives and he is designing the circumstances and he is designing the events completely just for us. How special we are. None of us in here are, are the same. God has a certain signature upon your life. Listen to what uh, Psalm 139, verses 14 through 17 says. I want you to consider some of these verses. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Boy, that's my prayer when I talk to my wife. Lord, (laughs) thank you for making me so complex that even my wife can't figure me out. (laughs) But here he says, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. So we find there that in Psalm 139, verse 14 through 17, that every moment was laid out for your life. Even before you were born, God designed it in such a way for your life. How about this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Here is Paul. And of course, he has this infirmity in his life and, and, and Paul is being used mightily by God and he's establishing churches and, and he's seeing people come to know Christ and, and God's using him mightily. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul says this, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, what did God do? God designed something for Paul. And it says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, Paul says, I begged the Lord to remove this thing from his life. And he says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So because the, the providences in Paul's life were so designed, his strength, Paul's, God's strength was made perfect in his weakness that Paul had in his life. I don't think we need to go in much detail here, but all of us in here, we suffer from some type of physical infirmity. Maybe a health issue. Maybe something mental. But God has designed that in such a way to use it in your life. Paul says, I've been given this infirmity for a reason. Paul says I'm not going to boast about what I can do. I'm going to boast about what Jesus Christ has done through me because of my weakness. So we see that that it's designed, but not only that, it's controlled by God. Every event and circumstance is designed and it is controlled by God. Now this is where we get into a lot of trouble because we as individuals, we like to be in control you ever been on an airplane before and that airplane goes through some turbulence and what do you do right away (sniffs) I'm in control no you're not you're just grabbing the airplane seat (laughs) we like to be in control but we must recognize that God is in control of every event and circumstance that he has designed for us whatever the situation you may be in you can rest assured that God is in control of every aspect and circumstance of your life that you're facing. I want to give you a verse here in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 13. The Bible says, Accept the way that God does things. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Is God really in control? Is he trustworthy? Will he help? Solomon here, and he writes, he says, accept the way that God has done things. Because even when God gives you crooked things in life, things that are bent and things that just don't seem to work out, God says, accept them. Because he gave you those crooked things in your life for a reason. He's in control of those things. The scriptures teach us that we must believe that God is completely sovereign in every aspect of our life. God in his love wills what is best for us. God allows those things to come into our lives because he knows what will help us the most to become a committed follower of Jesus Christ. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best and in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. want to give you one last verse here about him being in control. Let's turn over to uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 through 38. Lamentations 3, 37 through 38 says this, who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity And good? He does. You know, we we sometimes turn on the news and you hear about the tsunami here that came in and brought about waves and thousands of people lost their lives. We hear about the hurricanes. We hear about the earthquakes. And we hear about disease. We hear about all these things. And we we have to reckon with what God says in his word that he brings about both calamity and good. So can God be trusted? Yes, absolutely. Every event and every circumstance in our life is designed and controlled by God. So are we focusing on God? Are we living in the lens of his will? Are we recognizing his providences in our life so that we may have faith? That's what God is trying to do in our life. He's trying to bring us into the lens of his will. He's trying to get us to see what he is doing. But if we're focusing more on all the calamity, we're focusing on the crooked past, if we're focusing on the broken things in life, we miss out on what God's trying to do. So providences are every event and circumstance in our lives designed and controlled by God. There's a third point to this or third part of this. Notice what the Bible says here. Providences are every event and circumstance in our lives designed and controlled by God. Here's the third part to that definition. The third part is this. It is for his glory and our good. So providences are every event and circumstance in our lives designed and controlled by God for his glory and our good. Listen to what the Bible says about this. In Isaiah 42, 8, God says this about his glory. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. God is very jealous over his glory. He is not going to share it with anybody. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians 1, 29, that as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So God brings about providences in our lives. He brings about those events and circumstances that are controlled by Him. Why? For His glory and His glory alone. You say, Mike, are you saying that God takes pleasure and He receives glory out of calamity? Even calamity that comes in my life? Yes. That is a hard pill to swallow. Now, I don't think God's up there going, ha, ha 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 ha. But he receives a glory from it because he is the one that is enabling that stuff to come into our lives. And he is doing it for a purpose. And what is that purpose? For his glory and our good. Notice some other things about this. It says that it's for his glory and our good. Now, those two things always work hand in hand. In other words, they're always in harmony. God never pursues his glory at the expense of the good of his people. Nor does he ever seek our good at the expense of his glory. I want to give you a verse here that I think really sums all that up. A perfect example of this, of his glory and our good, is Jesus' passion for the Father's glory. Let's look at these verses here, because I think this really helps us see the Father's glory and our good. John chapter 13. Let's turn over there. John chapter 13 and verse number 31 and 32. Here is Jesus, and I am just inspired by the Lord Jesus as he's praying his father and he's he's approaching in agony because of the cross that is before him and his description of this necessary agony was framed with these words as what he says here in John 13 31 and verse 32 now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him if God is so glorified in him God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. In the record of his extended and intimate prayer to the Father, he prays this. He says, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see, we must understand that the cross was not going to feel pleasant or appear good. But Jesus knew it was essential for the ultimate outcome of God's glory. So if God is always doing every event and circumstance and it's controlled and designed by God for his glory and our good, the cross is such a perfect example of that. Because as Jesus prays and he knows the agony of the cross that's before him, he knows that he's going to be crucified, he knows that he's going to be beaten, he knows that he's going to be mocked, he knows that his beard's going to be ripped out, he knows all of this calamity that's going to come into his life. But yet he says, Father, I want to glorify you and the work that you are bringing into my life will bring glory and it will be for who's good. Ours. And so never lose hope, never lose hope when there is an event or there's a circumstance or there's a person, there's a calamity in your life that is causing problems, is causing heartache. Don't lose hope that God is not in control because he's bringing all of that into our lives for his glory and our good. If we are going to live in the lens of his will to follow Christ for his glory though the good through the good and the bad we must learn how to recognize his providences. We must see his hand, his invisible hand that is working in our lives. So every event, every circumstance designed and controlled by God for his glory and our good. I encourage you to refocus on God. I encourage you to live in the lens of his will. Ponder his work is what Asaph says. I'm going to ponder the deeds. I'm going to ponder the mighty works of God and meditate on them. Because in doing so, it'll help you refocus on the Lord.